And welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined, as always, during football season by my main man, David Simone, and a special guest tonight on the BCJ Podcast, a legend in Cincinnati football, the one and only, the, the man who says one of his primary goals in life is to be in a Skyline Chili commercial, the one and only Tony mm. Pike. Tony. That, that's How you a, doing, buddy? A legend. That's a, a legend. Lo- legend. That's a that's a lofty goal. It is. It is. I've I've set my standards high. I've, I've I've crossed off a lot of goals in my lifetime, but you know that that one's still hanging out there over my head. Well, I mean, the, the other I, the reason I use legend is because the, there's another podcast uh, done in our network from uh, a, the team across town, and a fat guy that scouts college basketball. They call him a legend, and if he's a legend. <laughs> You're absolutely a legend. Fair enough. I'll take that then. I'll take it. I don't know if you know Brian Snow or not, but you're much more of a legend than Brian Snow. I'll take it. I I appreciate it. (laughs) I I created a a stir today, Tony. Uh, Being a Northern Kentucky guy, I said Dixie Chili was better than Skyline. uh, Yeah, I mean, mean, hearing hearing that on the other end of the line as we're doing this, it, it... it almost makes me just want to end this podcast right now. <laughs> I, I will say though, in my, gonna... Gold Star's trash. Oh, go ahead. Gold Star's trash. We can all agree on that, right? Okay, I'm in on that. Okay, you you've redeemed you've redeemed yourself enough. And I eat Skyline. Like I don't have a problem with Skyline uh, now. Especially, I moved out to Independence, Kentucky. I was in Newport, and Newport mm. has a, a, a Dixie Chili right there, so I had Dixie Chili okay. available. Now, Dixie Chili, i got to drive like 25, 30 minutes to get it. And I don't think it's that much better than Skyline. So I just go to the Skyline that's five minutes away. Okay. I can, I can accept that. We can, right. we can continue on with the podcast. <laughs> All right, Tony. You, uh, I know you're, you're doing a lot of radio uh, down because you're at Bengals camp every day for, uh, for 1530 for Mo and Lance. However, you did – Find your way to the friendly confines of Camp Higher Ground in West Harrison, Indiana. Uh, was that Monday? Yeah, that was Monday. And uh, yep. you got to take in some Bearcats practice. I've been out there every day. Dave has uh, made it out. He will be out there Thursday and Friday. And uh, I, I think, Tony, the, the people get sick of hearing from me on my thoughts about camp because I give mine every day. So I wanted to have somebody, a, a different set of eyes that were out there um to to give us some perspective on things we're going to start with quarterback uh luke hasn't really talked about it the quarterbacks aren't open for uh media availability yet but being that you're a legendary university of cincinnati quarterback and you had a chance to see the quarterbacks how would you handicap the quarterback race from what you saw uh at practice on monday well the the hardest part about monday's practice was it was a heavy third down and blitz type of day so Anytime you're looking at that aspect of practice, the defense is going to win more times than not just because you're still installing so much that has to do with picking up protections, understanding when you have to hit a hot route, uh, making sure the receivers understand when when they have to change their route and alter it. So with that being said, I still give the edge to Hayden Moore, more so because he is a fifth-year senior uh, and he's seen more of that. You're still seeing – uh, some plays from Dez up front where, you know, he's he had a couple throws that could have been intercepted by a linebacker. Uh, you see defensive ends dropping, and you're, if you're not used to that, they can catch you in a throw. So 
Peyton has just seen a lot more at this point than Dez have. Uh, it, it's so hard to to pick up a linebacker dropping, and you have to get the ball up and down over the linebacker, but you also can't put enough air on it that a, a safety can come make the play on it. So that's a ball you have to throw over and over again. So when I look at the quarterback battle now and I look a couple weeks out when you're opening up in the Rose Bowl against UCLA and it's going to be Chip Kelly's first game and all the pistols are going to be flying, if things are even, uh, I would lean more towards a fifth-year senior just because of the environment alone. However, if Dez pulls ahead of Hayden, then you have to go with the guy that's going to give you the best chance to win. Uh, so right now, like you said, I, I give it to Hayden, but there's still a lot of camp to be had and, and a lot of things can happen. Yeah, and that's pretty much where we've been. Like, I, I think all things going perfectly, they would love for Desmond Ritter to be the starter this year. Because he's got right. four years left. You've got Ben Bryant right there with him. Like, they would love for that. But in order for that to happen, he has to play better than Hayden Moore at higher ground, right? I mean, you're not right. you're not just giving him the job because ideally you'd like him to have it. He has to go out and win the job. Correct. And then, like you said, when you, when you look at the environment, you know, you're, you don't have the luxury this year that you're starting against a, a 1AA or a, a smaller school where you can get a lot of guys playing time. This, this is coming out right out of the gate. It, it, it's a lot like the, the 2009 senior year we opened up at Rutgers. And if you're not ready to play on the road in a hostile environment week one, you're going to get ran out of the place. So you have to go with the guys that are going to stay even keel. The guys are going to keep you in position. And for one, it can't be a guy that's going to turn the ball over because when you're on the road, the biggest mistake you can make is start and turn the ball over and let things snowball. So you got to give your team the best chance. And, you know, if, if that's Hayden by a hair going in, it's a lot easier for a coaching staff, I feel, to, to go to a younger guy after a fifth-year senior has started as opposed to starting a younger guy and then having to turn to the senior and say, hey, now we need you to come back in. That I agree with completely. Dave, what do you got? Just more broader picture since you were out there on Monday. Was there anything that, you know, caught your eye as far as surprise uh, in the good or the bad or something maybe that you were anticipating seeing that, you know, trying to see where the team was at this point last year compared to where they are now? Yeah, well, at the quarterback position itself, you know, you, you love what, what Des Ritter brings because of the athleticism. And Monday in particular, they were working on a lot of jet sweep type stuff. And to do that, you have to have a mobile quarterback because if the defensive end's not going to respect the quarterback run, then they're going to eat that up every time. So if that's what they're trying to implement more into the offense, Des is going to give them a great chance. But he also hasn't seen a lot of live looks where they're going to come and hit the quarterback and play things live. So that changes things a bit. But overall aspect of the team, the in the first 15 minutes, the athleticism of this team compared to the team last year jumps off the page at you. They're athletic at every position. Defensive backfield, I think they're a ton improved. They're still looking uh, at receiver and, and trying to find that, that group of receivers. But, man, when you look at the skill set of running backs, uh, the defensive secondary, the linebacking core, mixed in with this new redshirt rule, the athleticism is always going to be there, and that's just going to continue to grow for this team and this coaching staff. Tony, the, the defensive secondary, I thought Monday had an excellent day. Uh, what was there, five or six times where the, the coverage was so good, the quarterback just ate it and they blew the whistle. Uh, 
Um, yeah. You know, you're looking at, you know, a, a, a true sophomore in Kobe Bryant, a redshirt freshman in Noah Hamlin at corner right now, uh, a true sophomore in Derek Forrest at safety, a redshirt sophomore in James Wiggins at safety. But, boy, as those guys are starting to pick it up, they really, really can cover some ground and play. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is is guys at in a, at any level, no matter what position you're at, when you when you are more confident with what you're seeing on the field and understanding in the film room, you play so much faster. And I do it with the quarterback training I do now. When we do the mental side of the game, just understanding what a defense is doing for a quarterback or understanding what an offense is doing for a defensive player, it slows the game down for you and allows you to play so much faster. And that's what I think we're seeing in that defensive secondary now. You're seeing a group that flies to the ball. They can move. They can they can cover laterally. They can cover down the field. And like you said, when you look at their ages, they're only going to get better. They're only going to get more experience. Uh, and now, kind of what we talked about, you got a guy in Mike Mickens who's done it before at the University of Cincinnati. He's done it at that position. He knows what he's talking about. They're an All-American type of player. So when you're in the meeting room and you're in the trenches with these guys, Mickens can look up there and say, look, I've been there. I've, I've done this at higher ground. I know it's getting I know it's getting to the point of camp where it's tough, but if you want to get to where this team wants to get to, Mike Mickens is a great guy for that secondary to lean to to understand how to push through and understand the game at a higher level. Have you ever heard him yell as much as you heard him yell the other day? His voice is almost shot five days into camp. Mickens, he, he surprised me because I know from playing there that he liked to run his mouth a little bit at the quarterback's. I had no problem trying to shut his mouth as a quarterback, pushing the ball downfield, but he honestly reminded me of how Kerry Combs was at UC because Kerry Combs, 20 minutes into practice, lost his voice already because he's so energetic and he's yelling every play. And it's not just Mike Mickens, it's the whole coaching staff. There's not, there's not one play that I watched on Monday where the coaching staff wasn't doing some type of coaching, where they weren't getting into a player or they weren't, congratulating a player or tweaking what he was doing there's just there's so many opportunities to practice and this the coaching staff every one of us making a point every play to coach up some aspect of that play and when you look at that it, it's exciting for a program because it starts to build a you know a level of what's expected around this program and, and where this program was and they're getting the local recruits and they got the, the coaching staff that's fired up it's starting to feel like it's getting back to the, the days of UC where we, we saw our, our highest rate of success. You you mentioned Mickens, and that brings me to Geno and brings me back to quarterback a little bit. I, I don't want to circle back, but how important is it now that he's in that quarterback room, now, now that they've got a guy that, that's that's won college football games as, as a Bearcat uh, that, that can look at him and say, hey, I know what you're going through? Possibly. You look at the record books. He goes to Nippert Stadium. You can look up at the Ring of Honor. Zeno's been through it all, and he's been through high times and he's been through low times at UC. And to have that experience to draw upon of going through so many camp higher grounds and going through so many seasons of ups and downs and, and the highs and lows, there's not anything these quarterbacks are going to come across at camp or during the season that Geno hasn't been uh, a part of, whether he was playing or, or watching. He's seen every situation, and he's gone through every drill. And, and to me, it, it just brings a whole nother level of, you don't want to say respect because you respect all your coaches, but as a, as a college student, 
seeing a guy that's been there before and seeing a guy that's got the levels that he has, that's a guy you want to hit your wagon to. That's a guy you want to follow because he knows what he's doing, and you know that he's going to get you to the top point of your game. Dave? Yeah, so since you know you played the position of quarterback and at UC and obviously followed the team closely, We've all we saw last year the struggles that they had uh, getting off to fast starts offensively. What are some mm-hmm. of the things that that you think either they could work on or you know change completely to try to alleviate those issues this year? Because last year there were just far too many times where they were out of the game before the second quarter, and you know obviously offensively you're changing your whole game plan when you're down. 14, 21 points after 15 minutes. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a couple different aspects. Obviously, confidence on the offensive side of the ball is the biggest thing, and that starts at quarterback. But the struggles to, to get a consistent running game going last year uh, just compounded the fact that it put a lot more pressure on a quarterback and receiving core uh, that just wasn't at the level it needed to be. Like I said, the athleticism, getting open, teams just essentially came in and and put an extra guy in the box to stop the run and let their secondary kind of pick on a receiving core that wasn't up to par or up to standards to what it needed to be. So I think you accompany that with the lack of the defensive front line to, to, to produce a lot of pressure, and the defense was giving up points, and all of a sudden you're sitting there at a 14-point hole and you start putting a lot of pressure on yourself as an offense. And And to me, that's the hardest thing, and it's equivalent to the high school game when you look at a team like Colerain in the area and they run that triple option. And if you get down 14 or 21 points as an offense, you start to think, okay, well, I'm only going to get X amount of possessions left. So then you start thinking you got to go out and make a huge play down the field or you got to make something special happen. And you go out and you go three and out or you turn the ball over. So you can't let what's going on on the other side of the ball dictate things. And you can't let a couple bad series snowball into a bad game. And that's, that's, I think, where they need to be a little better this year is just staying confident, understanding they can pick things up, understanding they can get themselves back into a game. And that starts at the quarterback position. I tell the guys I train all the time, if, if I were to flip a game on in the second quarter and I don't see the score and I see the quarterback on the sideline, I shouldn't be able to tell if that quarterback just threw an interception or if he just threw a touchdown because you, you can't ride those waves of emotion so much in a game that it either hurts you or hinders you. So you've got to keep that even keel. You've got to have a confidence about you. And I think that, that the coaching staff, the way they're coaching helps that. I think Brady Collins and the job he's done with the strength and conditioning program has this team feeling like they can go out and compete every down this year. Tony, one of the things that we noticed right away um, as camp started, and you, this, uh, you mentioned Brady Collins, it's kind of a good lead-in. Uh, one, the, the increased size on the offensive line, uh, there's a potential that, depending on how things shake out, they could start five 300-pounders that are all 6'5 and up. Um, and, and two, the freshman class, a, a guy like Tavion Thomas, a guy like Josh Wiley. Mm-hmm. Um, did those things stand out to you when you walked in out there, that that, that there was yeah, quite I, a difference there? Absolutely. The, the physical aspect itself, like I said, that and the athleticism jumps off right away, and that – that's a tribute to the recruiting aspect, and that's also attributed to Brady Collins, who I've seen personally does an unbelievable job. And you see it when you're up there. They're playing music. They're jumping around. The energy's up there. And that's not easy to keep at practice because things get a lot 
of, of repetition and they get mundane at camp and it's the dog days. And they keep these guys fired up and locked in. But when you look at, I mean, look at the Sports Illustrated cover this month, it's Wisconsin and, and how big that offensive line is. And, and when you look, you've got a chance to start guys 300 pounds plus across the board that can move and that are athletic and strong. You're going to start opening up some running holes for a talented group of running backs. And then you mentioned Josh Wiley, a guy that can now get down the field at tight end where they haven't really had that in the past. He can spread the defense out. He can work that play-action game. He can win those one-on-one battles with a linebacker or a safety and be that level of comfort for Hayden Moore or Des Ritter or Ben Brown or whoever it is a quarterback uh, to, to be able to gain that confidence like you talked about. So I, I think that accompanied with, like you said, the redshirt rule where these guys can play up to four games and still get redshirted, it, it should be very interesting and fun to see how Luke Fickle and the rest of the staff um, unleashes these guys because it could be a system, too, where you know a freshman coming in might not be ready now, but he might develop and, and get on Brady Collins' strength and conditioning program be ready to go in midseason or at the end of the season. So I'm excited to watch it unfold. I think it's bringing a great aspect to college football and, and certainly to this team's dynamic. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, let, let's take a look at some guys, not necessarily by name, but if you're a freshman and you've got the opportunity in the first four games to play, you're looking at that thinking, you know what, I'm playing my way into not redshirting. And that makes right. you a lot more engaged as a player as opposed to, say, last year, you come in, you know you're on the scout team, you're probably going to redshirt, you're not getting a lot of looks on special teams. I mean, you sat out for a couple of years, your energy level goes down. You're not as engaged. Yep. Well, I, I tell people the first three years that I was at Camp Hiram was miserable. Because you know, I knew I wasn't playing. I knew I wasn't on the up on the depth chart. The days get longer. The meetings get longer. It's tougher to stay motivated. But when I was a a junior and a senior, that was that was those are some of the best and funnest times of my life. Because you're out there competing with the guys and you're getting better every day. So, like you said, you hit the nail on the head. Understanding as a freshman, like, hey, I can come in and play, and maybe I might not even play at the start of the year, but somewhere in the year, I can be needed. And if I'm ready when my name's called, whether I play for eight games or I play four and get redshirted, if your goal is to make it to the next level, the more film you have on yourself, the better. And if you have four games as a freshman and you redshirt and you still get four more years, that's a lot more the NFL can look at you or the Canadian League or whatever you're thinking about playing. It just it increases the excitement around the game of football. And it makes it so, like you said, this, they're, they're competing every day. They're, they're going in understanding that if they do their job, that no job is safe, and they can pass the guy in front of them. And, and I think when you have that at that level of, you know, the team didn't didn't achieve what they wanted last year, any job is up on the line. Competition makes for makes for the best type of camp because every day these guys are going out there, and you know that if you don't perform on one day, you can get passed up on the depth chart. Dave, you got anything? I would just say, you know, I think Chad and I talking, and I think several people are kind of looking at year two is uh, make a make a bowl game and see what happens, take some strides in that area, get those extra practices, get back to a bowl game for the first time in a couple of years. What are, you know, what your thoughts are maybe the one or two, you know, most important areas where that they can take that, that jump and get into that six, seven, and then maybe if things break right, you know, an eight win type season. Yeah, well, I, first of all, I, I agree 100%. I think with the recruiting they've done uh, and the job this coaching staff does, if you can get back to six or seven wins this year at the at the minimum, 
and even add on a couple, you're just going to do wonders for an already unbelievable recruiting start to this team. But I, I look at, obviously, the quarterback position because that's where it's all going to start for this team. Um, you know, you, you, you have the weapons at running back. You, you look like you have the, the guys up front of the offensive line. We talked about the tight end position. You hope the receiving core can emerge a little bit, but not only quarterback play of throwing a bunch of touchdowns, but not turning the ball over. You know, Brian Kelly, for all that he taught us at UC, one of his biggest things was to end every drive with a kick, whether that's a punt, field goal, extra point, uh, something where the other team is not gaining momentum and not having a chance to play with a short field. So if you go out there and just don't turn the ball over and start off with that as a goal, and you're going to give your, yourself and your defense a chance to be in every game, and then you look at, you know what, maybe some of those close games start going your way and the ball starts falling your way. And then I think the other side of the ball, defensive line and turnovers. Uh, there, there wasn't enough pressure up front last year. Uh, obviously, the sack numbers speak for themselves. But when you mix the sack numbers within, uh, with quarterback pressures, there's just not a time, oh, enough time for secondary to be in position to make a turnover or to, to get a pick six or to create a fumble based off a strip sack. So you look at the quarterback position, you look at the defensive line position, helping create turnovers. I think you start in those two positions, you got a pretty good start at getting back to that bowl game level. Anything else, Dave? No, I think I'm good. All right, I got one more thing, Tony. I don't. Yeah. You you brought this up on Monday, and I don't think Bearcat fans know this, and I think uh, I, I think they'll they'll have an appreciation for this story. So Pike DeBenz, the the, the most yeah. the most legendary play in UC football history. <clears throat> what I've never heard before is Armand Benz dislocated his shoulder on the catch. Yeah. When did yeah, you guys so, I mean, find Gordon- out about that? Like, when did that come up? That was that was not until I believe two days later that I even knew about it because if you if you watch the play and you watch the catch he does land on his on his shoulder as he goes to the ground to, to try to protect and hold that ball in so obviously you know the 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 emotion and the adrenaline of just winning the Big East championship and knowing you're going to another BCS bowl and possibly a national title the adrenaline's going and so you get on the bus and the whole bus ride's a celebration, and you get some time off the next day. And it wasn't until coming back in, obviously, with my arm situation and, and uh, my left arm at the time, going in for treatment. And you look across, I looked across the training room, and I see Ben's over there, and he had like a little sling on, and he was getting nice on his shoulder. And I said, Oh, you know, what happened? He said, oh, I dislocated it. And to me, it was like that the, the stock of, well, hell, when did that happen? When did that happen? Because when you watch the play in the celebration, you know, everyone's pumping their fists. We're jumping up and hugging each other. We're chest bumping. And to, to just understand the, the feeling of having a dislocated shoulder and the pain that that might have been, but the joy and excitement from that play and that win, uh, overcoming that pain just shows really what that win and, and what that game meant for uh, obviously, all the players and, and coaches on that team, it, it kind of puts things into perspective as as to what goes on out there on the field and, and the sacrifice that people make. How much does that get brought up to you out in public? How much do people talk about Pike DeBenz? A lot, a lot. The uh, you know, I thought we were going to gain traction for that statue. Um, I, I'm still I'm working on it behind the scenes. 
you know, a year ago. I, you know, I hope you do because that, uh, that to me, that as, as much as as my career at UC, you know, I was I was thankful for everything that happened and playing in my hometown to to cap everything off um, with a with a an opportunity to play in back to back PCS games. The the thirty one to the twenty one point comeback and and to, to to be a part of a play that that made that so special to me is 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 obviously going to stay with me for the rest of my life and and honestly what I get asked about most at my time at UC because so much went into the play and the game itself and you look at the the team that was assembled during that time it was just it was overall just one of those things that, that you'll never forget in life I I will never forget being there. I, I still, Tony, I, I still, every time I hear, um, what the hell is it? The the song they Sweet played at the Caroline. start. Of, Sweet Caroline. Sweet Caroline. Every God. time I hear that was, song, I'm transported to standing on the field in Pittsburgh and just laughing at those people. That that first half, I think it was the coldest I've ever been during oh. a game. I couldn't get to the heated, I couldn't get to the heated benches quick enough. And then once things start flowing in the second half, it was so different. You couldn't wait to get back out on the field. But it was it was great for me because I had so many friends and family members that went up. And and as years go by, I find out that friends of mine uh, that I consider friends left that game at halftime to go to a bar or, or go somewhere else in Pittsburgh. Makes it even better to be able to rub in that they weren't there for the final. Um, but it was it was it was an unbelievable game. And you know, I appreciate you staying for the whole game. I mean, I it, here's a good one. So my wife found out that she was pregnant like five days before that game. So she still went. Heck of a week. She still went, but she couldn't drink. Right. So she didn't have any alcohol to warm her up, and they didn't have hot chocolate in the entire stadium after the first quarter. And yep. and then Brian Kelly takes an hour to come into the post game media. I don't know what I don't know what you guys were doing in the locker room for an hour. Jubilation, <laughs> but he doesn't come in for so I don't get out out of the stadium until an hour and a half after the game, and we parked in yep. downtown, so we started to walk back across the bridge. So her and my dad are just like outside waiting for us, and when we got out, I literally thought she was going to murder me for <laughs> for, for taking her to that game, and then. You know, no alcohol, no hot chocolate, waiting an hour and a half after the game. I, I literally thought I wasn't going to make it to see the birth of my child at finding out like five days before. But on the flip side, it was also the fastest five hour, five hour car ride I've ever been a part of. Yeah. I don't know what it, the bus ride was like, was, but I, it felt like we were home in 10 minutes. Yeah. I'm the same way. If people ask, I don't even remember the bus ride home. I, I was so excited and. And your phone's blowing up, and you're just talking to people back and forth. That if every if every road trip could have went like that, I, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, I, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for sharing some insight on camp. Uh, I know you were you were excited. You were you were happy to see actual hitting because apparently in the NFL yeah. they they don't hit. Yeah, that that doesn't happen as much as you would think. I used to tell people that the biggest jump is the speed and and the size and the hitting at the NFL level, these rookies don't even have a chance to experience it yet uh, until they go into their first preseason game. So that's always exciting to, to hear the pads popping and, and to see some guys getting hit. All right, man. Except well, the quarterback. Yeah, except the quarterback. No hitting on the quarterbacks. That's not nice. 
No. That's how you get punched in the helmet by an offensive lineman. Correct. <laughs> All right, man. I, I know you usually make it up a couple more times to higher ground, so I'm looking forward to uh, hanging out on the sidelines and picking your brain. Oh, one more thing. What That was a hell of a tackle by uh, new director of player development, Greg Scruggs. Cool. Unbelievable. He's, I think he's ready to get back in there. I mean, he looked like he didn't miss a beat. He took Khalil Lewis down with the quickness. Yep. Yep. That was that was it was it was funny because you saw a couple skirmishes and the first one it was kinda of like, okay, break it up. Everyone was still kind of pumped up. The second one, Khalil gets taken down, things just start getting a little more serious. All of a sudden you see another fight, practice gets stopped, little coach Bickle starts making him do up downs. And, and, and I think that got their attention pretty quickly after that. Your eyes got big on the up-downs. You love seeing up-downs. As long as you weren't doing Oh, yeah. I was, I, was, I, was, I was still at UC in the D'Antonio era where you'd be like an hour, hour and a half into practice, and he would restart the whole practice based off some bad plays. So I like seeing a little punishment for some bad plays. <laughs> Get a little jump start into the guys. All right, man. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Tony. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That is... The legend, Tony Pike, joining us on the BCJ podcast to talk about some of the things that he has seen in camp. And ironically, Dave, it's a lot of the stuff that we've seen. I mean, his reports are really not that much different from what we've experienced through the first week. No. Um, I mean, I've been there one one day. You've obviously been there every day. And all our members are well versed on the, on the daily practice reports. But, yeah, I mean, it's been – I don't think, you know, there's been any deviation from what we kind of expected, at least early on. Right. Uh, there's there's still plenty long of time left. Long way to go. Long, long, way long to camp go. Still, still to go. So, obviously, things can change. You know, but, I mean, I'm not, I'm not too surprised about really anything. To this point, uh, it'll be nice to see some for my, for me to see some some full on type action, some tackling, some some full pad work, and that's I think when you can actually start to get an idea of the offensive line cohesion that they're looking for, the defensive line being more disruptive, and I think that's kind of the key word with them. I mean, obviously, sacks and pressures are what you talk about because they're stats that can be calculated, but it's a, it's a whole mindset of just being more disruptive. And I'm interested to talk to, you know, some of the defensive coaches and just kind of find out how they plan on plan about, you know, changing what they did last year. And is it more pressure? Is it more actual blitzing? Are you, because you're now in your second year, you're able to give, more varied looks where last year you just felt like you had to, you know, be pretty basic because it was your first year. You didn't feel like you had the necessary overall talent to do some things. So it'll be interesting to kind of hear what they have to say now that camp will be more into the everyday hitting and tackling portions. What you're looking for is like, uh, is akin to a night out in Montreal, full contact. Yes. Always like or diamonds in Centerville. Ohio, so. <laughs> oh, I could tell a story I know about a, a girl from Diamonds in Centerville, but I I don't think we could get kicked off the air podcasting. But um, 
<laughs> I don't think it, 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 it's not for the faint of heart. Um, <laughs> no one that no important is listening to this. So it involves a corn concert and ear of corn and a radio <laughs> microphone. And I'll just leave it at that. Use your imagination from there. Um, it's like the uh, B- Billy Madison, uh, bear rug, a nine iron. <laughs> exactly. Um, speaking of Montreal, you like that segue? That was a good segue. Yeah, that was great. Speaking of Montreal, the Bearcats uh, actually not coming back to Cincinnati. Most of the team is headed home uh, for a little bit of a break for a couple weeks before classes start. I believe classes start on like August 25th, August 26th, something like that. Whatever that last Monday is in August is when the first week of classes begin at the University of Cincinnati. So a lot of the guys, uh, and if you were wondering why the trip was so abbreviated, Mick Cronin mentioned uh, before they left that one of the things they wanted to do was to get it done by Tuesday so that on Wednesday everybody could fly home and have a little bit of an extended break with their families. Um, These guys have been going all summer. Everybody has been on campus outside of, I think they had four or five days over the 4th of July uh, where they got to go home. But, you know, these guys have been going full blast for a long time already. Uh, so important to get them a couple weeks off. They go 2-1 and one in Canada. Uh, last I checked, they lost to Carleton. Last I checked, Carleton was beating Old Miss by uh, 17 or 18 points in the second quarter. Or no, uh, last I, I saw, saw was, they, they, they were up 22 at halftime. 22 at halftime, yeah. Yeah, so guess what? Carleton's good. Which, <laughs> they're really they're good. good. I think the. I mean, I think the thing, couple things that I think is that it's not an either-or thing. Like, you don't, you're not either totally discounting them losing by 19 and saying that it doesn't matter at all because it's August. Um, but you're also not on, like, I'm also not on the other end of the spectrum where it's like, I, you know, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. I mean, you can say, well, like, it's alarming. You know, you never, I, I don't care when you lose, you never, I never want to lose anything. I mean, I doubt they went up there and was like, yeah, it's totally cool if we get blown out. You know, we, we don't care at all. That's, I've had a hard time believing Mick would take that mindset. Um, but let's, let's be honest in that it's August and you have a team replacing, you know, not necessarily your three best players, but I mean, from a usage standpoint, probably your three of your four highest usage players. So that means everybody is now in a position they're not familiar with and, you know, they're they're not going to be a great shooting team and they didn't shoot it well in any of the games up there. So like, it's kind of what you expect. Now I don't expect them to give up 86 points very often. Um, So if there's one thing I would look at, it would be, you know, defensively, but like, you know, offensively, this is kind of like, you know, this, this team is not, I mean, I think there's pieces there, but like, you know, there, there's going to be games and days probably where it, it looks pretty ugly. 
And, you know, it might look like three or four years ago, especially early in the season. You know, I don't know if anyone really sees this as, you know, like another one of these 30-win teams like they've had the last two years. So I think expectation-wise, you know, if we're talking about August, I mean, it's kind of exactly what, you know, I pictured to some extent. Well, I mean, let's let's live in reality and just not be surprised that this team's going to stake, take a step back offensively. No shit. Great. Jacob Evans is in the NBA. Gary Clark's on a two-way contract with the Rockets. Those are the two best teams in the Western Conference. Kyle Washington's going to make a lot of money playing professional basketball because of his offense. Like, they're going to take a step back. It is inevitable. Like, that, that's not a surprise to anyone, and it doesn't have – it's not a referendum on mixed coaching. It's that the talent was better last year. And that talent had been building together for a minimum of two years, and most of them three and four years. Like, you don't just replace those three guys, and all of a sudden everything clicks in August on a tour to Canada. Like, that's not how it works. That's not how it happens. Now, giving up 86 points, they should they, that shouldn't have happened. But, I mean. No, I mean, what, one guy, one guy shot like 13 for 15 from the field or something? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't care who you're playing. That shouldn't, you know, this program is built on, you know, defense and toughness. And that's, that is neither of those things if you're letting somebody go 13 15 so you know that's full right be upset about that but i mean that doesn't change the fact that you know i watched i watched that first game and you know they they couldn't throw the ball in the ocean well i I mean still their numbers weren't terrible in terms of of shooting they they didn't it got a little bit worse as the the trip went on I think they were 5 of 12 from 3 in that first game, which respectable percentage. They didn't take a whole lot. That, I mean, you're not going to see this team. If this team's jacking up 25 threes in a game, there's an issue because that's not how they're going to be able to succeed. This is not a three-point. They've got, you know, Jaron had a bad trip uh, from 3, but he should be a 35, 36 three-point shooter, percent three-point shooter. Kane should be, you know, there a little bit higher. Uh, Rashawn Frederick should be there a little bit higher, but ultimately they're not a you know they're not a team that can shoot forty two percent from three, so they shouldn't be taking twenty five a game. No, this team should be attacking, getting the ball on the rim, dominating the offensive glass, and and producing like that, not you know taking contested three pointers early in the shot clock because they've got a bevy of of high level shooters. It's just not. That's not how they're going to operate. What is your, I know, again, we're talking about three practice games, but that's the three games we have data on. What's your concern about the interior offensively? Because it still, it still seems like Nas just, for whatever reason, can't figure it out. Well, I mean, he had a good, actually a decent game against uh, Carlton, I believe, early. Uh, the biggest thing for him is, is one, he's got to get time on the floor. 
because he had the same problem he's having now when he got here in practice of hurrying the ball on the rim instead of taking time, getting his body set, and then getting a quality look. Like, the reality is he's going to be really your only guy. You'll you'll do it some with Trey, but I think you'll see Trey used a lot more, uh, and you saw Trey used a lot more, like how they use Justin Jackson in the two-man game. Um, where he's rolling to the rim a lot, or he's he's popping for yeah, a fifteen footer. He's more of like a, a high post pick right. and roll guy than a straight post back to the basket guy. Nas is going to be the one guy you're throwing the ball into. He's going to have to get used to slowing down in a game because he's managed to get there. There are still some times when he'll you know, especially if they've been off for a week or two or. Whatever they'll come back and he'll 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 revert back to his old form and then after you know another practice or two he's slowing down he's getting his feet underneath him he's getting the ball on the rim softly but like what he did in the um, the Ottawa game you can't have that like you can't just rush the ball up onto the rim and miss the rim by a foot from two feet like. You're not giving yourself a chance to get an offensive rebound. You're allowing the other team basically to get out in transition because nobody's expecting you to to brick a layup or a, a, a baby hook off the back of the backboard two feet away from the rim. He's just got to slow down. Um, I think we have seen some progress from Elio. Uh, he can finish better with his left hand than he has last year. It's still a work in progress. He's still not – you know, all the way where you want him to be, where you can throw it in and know you're going to get a bucket. Uh, but at least he's gotten better and at least is a little bit of a threat when you throw it into him. Um, but, I mean, those two guys are going to be your low post scoring. And if Nas can't figure out how to slow his brain down and slow his body down, it's going to be like what we saw in Canada, where he plays for two minutes and Mick takes him out. Because that's what they're going to need him for. You still... As much as the game's changed and as much as it's a perimeter-oriented game, you still, over the course of 40 minutes at times, have to be able to throw the ball to the guy with post position, and he turns and puts it in the bucket. That has to happen. And right now, the best... Percentages percentages say you're going to make more of those than you are from from three. There's no one that's strictly, you know, shooting nothing but three-pointers without some sort of post presence. Right. So... You know that that's where he's got to get better, and it, it he did not invoke a lot of confidence with that, especially in the game that was on. You know that was streamed for people to watch. So, well, and the thing too is that you know when you talk about him and Ellie, it's like regard regardless of the outcome of the play, Ellie was just in way more confident, assertive, whatever it might be. I mean, he caught the ball at the high post several times and just went up for jump shots. I don't know if he made any of them, but it was like he knew exactly what he wanted to do as soon as he got the ball, you know, whether it was shoot, pass, when he would get the ball inside, you know, there was no hesitation. And and I just still, you know, we've, we've said it, we just still see that, you know, Nas carves out post position, gets the ball, and then it, he's not – ready to make the move or he makes it too fast 
you know, before he even realizes his surroundings. Yeah, he's got to get better. I mean, that that's... That's 100% uh, a concern right now, and that's on him. He's got to figure out a way to stop having those problems because they're <laughs> they're less than ideal, let's say. Um, he's got to get better. He's got to be able to figure that out without question. Uh, I thought there was a lot of positives, both with Rashawn Fredericks and Keith Williams, and to a lesser extent, Trevor Moore. I think Trevor Moore went five for nine from three on the trip. He was doing what he's asked to do. Locate, get yourself ready to shoot, catch and shoot. Um, I know in the Carlton game, he had a couple nice ones uh, against Ottawa. He had two from the corner at the end of the game that he splashed. Um, So you feel pretty good about those three guys coming out of Canada um, in terms of what they've got alongside Jaron Cumberland. And then we saw Kane Broom off the ball a lot. Uh, especially when Logan Johnson was in the game. Logan Johnson was running point, uh, and Kane Broom was running the two when they played together. Uh, and then we saw the small ball lineup some, which I still hard to judge how much that's going to be in effect when the season rolls around. Uh, as I've said, that a lot of that depends on Mamadou. Uh, and we didn't see Mamadou on this trip because if Mamadou's ready and he can give you 12 to 15 minutes behind Trayvon, then there's not a lot of time for the small ball. There's not, you know, uh, but I do think we'll see it some because Rashawn Fredericks has shown already the kid knows how to go get the ball, especially on the offensive glass. So uh, I think those are some of the positives you can take away. Uh, negatives point guard play, man. If they, yeah. if they can't get, if they can't get quality play from the point guard, like they could survive it last year. Ultimately they didn't when it, when the chips were down, but they could survive it for the most part last year on the way to 30 wins. Um, you're not with this team with with not having the offensive ability of Gary Clark and Kyle Washington at the four and the five. You can't have your point guard be a black hole. And uh, I don't know that you could walk out of there um, feeling overly confident that, that they've got that problem fixed, especially when you consider Kane's probably better as a scorer off the ball. I know that was a lot, yeah. but no. But I mean, you're right. Like, if you know, if your ideal lineup has Kane off the ball, if if they don't get anything, if they can't get something from Jennifer or, or Logan Johnson. I mean, then he's then he almost has to play the point, and that's probably not your best lineup. Well, what you'll see if, if that yeah. has to happen is you'll see Jaron with the ball in his hands. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, they just you know I I don't you know there's I don't know we'll see I mean it it to me it says that there's way more of a chance than maybe we thought of or maybe I thought of at least at the outset that Logan Johnson could play serious minutes at the point this year. I think he's looking at 15 minutes a game as it stands right now, 10 to 15 minutes a game. I yeah. Well, yeah, right. That's as it stands right now. I mean, that, that could definitely go up. Yeah. The one thing that you could tell about the kid, even just watching him over in Canada, he doesn't lack for confidence. The moment's not too big for him. Like 
he didn't look like he was he was a deer in headlights in any situation that he was in up there. Um, no, but unfortunately, right now he makes Rajon Rondo look like he can't Steph shoot. Curry shooting the ball. He can't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, the ability to knock down jumpers has not been a strength for him so far. Let's let's say that. I can confidently say that right now. That is not or, been a strength. Or hitting the rim from the free throw line. He also did that. He also missed the rim on a free throw. Um, that's, that's not good. You don't want to do that. For, unfortunately for him, it was in the one game that was televised. Could actually watch. <laughs> Kids, if you're practicing at home, at least try to hit the rim on your free throws. Yeah. Miss your free throws in games that no one can see. <laughs> All right, man. You got anything else? I don't think so. Ready for some practice tomorrow and Friday, and then uh, we should have, uh, I believe, a scrimmage on Saturday that will definitely uh, <clears throat> be out in full force. For so three, uh, three straight days, and then I guess what they're they're off on Sunday. Then they're off on Sunday, Monday morning practice, and then practice is closed on Tuesday. It's the only practice uh, as it is right now. It's the only practice that's closed for the entire camp. Uh, and I think that's just because there's some scheduling stuff that, that is off on that day. Uh, not anything going on that, that had it closed. Um, but all the super, all the super secret plays will be entered in. Yeah. <laughs> Tuesday. Tuesday is the super secret practice that nobody can go to, which I mean, if, you know, if we're being real about it, they don't, they don't have to close practice 90% of the time. I'm the only one that's there anyway. Right. <laughs> I did like the night practice. Um, I know you. you yeah, nice, nice change of pace. I, I think you would have enjoyed it. Unfortunately, you had to meet a guy in a hotel bar at eight eight, eight o'clock at night. Uh, I don't want. Yep. I don't want to know what that's about. That's uh, you know, you, you do what you got to do. <laughs> I'd, I'd mind you to stay out of my personal affairs. <laughs> um. But I like the idea. The night practice is really nice. Uh, I'm sure it didn't hurt that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday were about a thousand degrees on the turf out there. So Tuesday night, yeah, uh, after it had cooled off from a rainstorm and and uh, the humidity had broken a little bit, it was a uh, delightful evening at Higher Ground uh, last night. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, but like you said, we'll we'll be full force uh, tomorrow and Friday. For practice, morning practice at higher ground, then a scrimmage on Saturday. I believe we'll have uh, the whole family there. Cause I, oh, wonderful. I, I think Boy Wonder is driving down again for his second practice of the spring or the summer. And then uh, it's it's on campus, so I believe Austin uh, should hopefully be there as well. So all four members of Bearcat Journal will be there on Saturday. We might outnumber the entire media. We usually do. We usually do yeah. one. We usually do one to nothing. Uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm bringing the whole team. I don't know. The Bengals play Thursday night, and it's back at Nippert on Saturday. So I guess everybody will be there. I would. I would guess we'll see a, a media presence on Saturday. We'll see. As long as nobody's, you know, at their their five five day work week limit. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Oh, I'm dropping inside jokes left and right. It's fun. It, look, as long as camp is and as much as many hours as we put into it, you got to have some fun with it. That's right, of course. Got to have some fun with it. But uh, that about wraps it up. Special thanks to the legend Tony Pike for joining us. Did you know Armand Ben's dislocated his shoulder? I did not. That he he told that story yesterday, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? How after I you know none. after almost a decade that I never heard that that he dislocated his shoulder falling to the ground, and it just completely got shuffled away because of the adrenaline and the excitement of the moment." Well, like usually when guys do that and they get up, they kind of like walk or run back kind of like, you know, with that arm kind of dangling more down than the other arm. And, you know, there was no indication of that. So, there, you know, at, right after the play, you know, he put both arms up, you know, with the ball and everything to, you know, show that he caught it. So there wasn't, you know, an oh, he might have got a hold on that play. But I mean, now that you say that, when you watch, when you know the, how the play unfolded, you can tell, like, that's a common way that that happens with the diving on, you know, on one shoulder like that. And I still, the statue has to happen. 31 yards apart, somewhere on campus. One end is Pike, the other end is Ben's. It's got to happen. Yeah. How, like, where where would you put it? I, th- I used to think, like, Shakely Lawn would be a good place for it. But the more I think about it, I think I'd do it on the grid. Yeah. Probably, then the grid's useless. Oh, no, the, not on the grid, yes, yes. I thought you were meaning, like, uh, I thought you said chicken. But, yeah. Um, like, that, you, that, like, I think so. That would be, like, a prime spot, like, if you had your spot had the Pike statue on it, or your spot had oh, the, yeah. the Ben statue on it, that would be that would be sweet, I would think, for a Bearcat fan. For like, sure. Like, where's your spot, Armand Benz, Pike to Benz? Yeah. I don't know. Nobody listens to me. I want to make it happen somehow. Maybe one maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll find a way to get Pike to Bend somewhere on campus. That day is not today. All right, Dave, thanks a lot for joining me. Thanks to Tony Pike again. And uh, I don't know if we'll be back next week. We'll depend on how everything plays out. Um, I'm guessing we'll probably do a video with Dave and I. <clears throat> Uh, from the scrimmage on Saturday that'll kind of... Don't forget your camera this time. Yeah, I won't forget my camera this time. That'll kind of act as a uh, a video log, a video cast uh, for next week's podcast as we'll get some instant reaction. Uh, And we'll have player and coach interviews every day after practice. Uh, I think I'm going to be talking to Mike Denbrock tomorrow as well as a player. And I would guess Luke Fickle since we gave him... uh, we gave him Tuesday night off after the night practice. So uh, lots of content coming as always. Thanks to all the people that have joined uh, lots of new members uh, for this camp season. Hope everybody is enjoying the content. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to hit us up on the message board and let us know. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brindle. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com.